and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast, and if you're counting, it's number 78, which is the atomic number of platinum. There used to be old records called 78s because they played at 78 RPM on a record player, and amazingly, I remember us having some. Unfortunately, none of the very valuable ones. And when they broke, boy did they break. 78 is also the number of cards in a tarot deck, which I had no idea about. And I also read that the number of gifts in the 12 days of Christmas is 78, but that's not actually true. I mean, it's true that 1 plus 2 plus 3 all the way up to 12 gives you 78, but the 12 days of Christmas song, you've got to add up all of the other 11 days as well, which makes 364. What other podcast talks about Christmas in April? Anyway, I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and this has nothing to do with today's show, although we have just had Easter in some parts of the world, not that anyone really noticed with the lockdown, other than a few more chocolate eggs around the house. And I think in our product roundup for March, we also had some cheese Easter eggs in there, so we got there in the end connecting it to dairy. Last week, I'm not sure if it was to lighten the mood, or more me just being ridiculous, I threw in a very bad cheese joke at the end and invited others to send some in. I didn't expect any, but I did get some. Just what you wanted to hear. You'd hoped I'd forgotten, I'm sure. Well, I actually had forgotten until the emails came in. Someone over in the Midwest in the US sent in a whole bunch of them, and there were a couple that made me smile, so I'll share those with you if you don't mind. Please don't fast forward. The first one is, what cheese do you think of when you look in the mirror? It's halloumi. Or I guess that depends how you say it, halloumi. The other one is, what cheese do you use to disguise a small horse? And of course, it's mascarpone. Another listener in the US said he'd bought a purple cheese grater online last week, but now he can't find any purple cheese, and I like that one. And this one came from, well actually I don't even remember where this one came from, I'm not sure she even said where she was from. And I'm not about to check on IP addresses and the like, and that's mainly because I have no idea how to. Anyway, she said she was in the grocery store last week, obviously social distancing as you're supposed to, when for no reason a man grabbed a block of cheese and threw it at her. And she thought, how dare he? I think that's my favourite. So let's move on to this week's guests. It can only get better from here. This week we have three guests, well four, in three interviews. We chatted with Atia Taylor, brand manager at European Freeze Dry, about a study that says adding freeze-dried fruit powder can slow ice cream melting. We also had a conversation with Martin Easter, Chief Scientific Officer at Hygiena, which has launched the Insight L Mono Glow Environmental Surface Screening Test for Listeria, and we talked to two people from Ingredion about their starch facility expansion in China, and they are Eric Weiser, Innovation Director, Ingredion Asia Pacific, and Valderini Licht, who is Senior Vice President and President of Ingredient Asia-Pacific. And of course, we also have our weekly updates on the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland from INTL FC Stone. Okay, let's move on to the news from the last seven days, which was interrupted, of course, by some holidays, but still plenty going on, as you can well imagine. 
And so, in no particular order, Christine's Food Hygiene has reopened one of its production units in just three days in the UK. We've had a few stories on the milk crisis plan in the US, and a few different variations on that plan have emerged, as have a few other different plans designed to help dairy farmers in the US through the crisis. Novozymes has published its first quarter results, or NUA published its 2019 results and says a strong year will help with the coronavirus challenges. Paxiom Group introduced a fully automated container filling and handling system, and DuPont launched its new Yomix Prime solutions. The IDF says collaboration within the dairy sector is more important now than ever, and Valio and Parma Holland have joined forces to bring lactose-free powders to the U.S. And in the U.K., the NFU, the National Farmers Union, is seeking a coronavirus crisis meeting to save the dairy sector. Quarantine baking is boosting demand for powdered goods. Carbios has developed a novel enzyme for PET depolymerization. And you can read these and many more articles on dairyreporter.com. And so we'll move on to this week's first guest, Atia Taylor, who is brand manager at European Freeze-Dry. The company mentioned a recent study that says adding freeze-dried fruit powder to ice cream can slow it melting. No mention of having to eat it in a fridge, and so I was quite intrigued and wanted to know more about the study and about European Freeze-Dry. European Freeze-Dry, we're a freeze-drying manufacturer, We're based in Preston, Lancashire. We also have three manufacturing sites in Denmark. The company was established in 1964, so we've been freeze-drying for a very long time. Within European Freeze-Dry, we have the European Freeze-Dry brand, and under that we have ingredients that we supply to a number of manufacturers. There are lots of different meals, and so we supply components such as vegetables, meats, seafoods and we also do a number of commission drying projects as well so people send in their products to us and we would just commission dry the products. We do nutraceuticals, it's a whole range, it's very very varied what we do. Also within the European Freeze Dry um, company we also do three consumer brands where we supply freeze dried meals so we've got a brand called Summit to Eat where our target audience is the outdoor industry. So people that are doing kind of like expeditions and adventures, these meals kind of targeted towards them. We have another brand called Fuel Your Preparation, very much um, targeted to kind of like survival food. So people in industries such as oil rigs, prisons, fire and rescue, emergency services. They're fully cooked meals available in single serve or multiple servings. And all you're doing is adding hot water to prepare the meals. And then finally, we've got a brand called Lealicious. And this is freeze-dried fruits, vegetables and cheeses in consumer packs. And that's targeting at-home bakers, your smaller confectionery companies, but also like parents that are at home that want to give their children snacks. Uh, and the beauty about it is because it's freeze-dried, you've got no seasonality there, so our fruits are available all year round. Is the process the same for all of the different products? Yeah, I mean, the process itself would be pretty 
much the same. The length of time that you would carry out the process would depend on whether it's a meal that you're freeze drying or if it's the fruit. So in essence, what the technology allows us to do is gently remove the water in the product without affecting the goodness. So what we do is at European Freeze Dry, all of our products, the freeze drying starts as frozen raw materials and then they undergo a process known as sublimation under standard programs. So during the freeze drying process, a deep vacuum is applied and under these conditions, neither ice or water can exist. So the pressure from the vacuum with a controlled amount of heat is applied, which causes the ice to leave the product as the vapor trail which is then captured onto an ice condenser within the freeze dryer, upon which the vapour forms again as ice. So the process takes approximately 24 hours, which is carried out in a set of chambers, which can be controlled at various temperatures and times, schedules, depending on the specific product requirements. So as I said, depending on whether it's the meal or whether it's the fruit or cheese, that's what we would then make it specific to the requirements. And in terms of the benefits, does it preserve the, does it give you a longer shelf life as well as? Absolutely. So the key benefits of the process is that it retains the structure, the flavor and the nutritional value of the product. It means that they are ready to be used as ingredients in a range of applications, whether that be sweet or savory. You know, we work with a number of customers very closely as partners from the outset to ensure that they get the end product that they need using our knowledge and technology and support through the process. And also what it means for customers that are working with us is that there's less time dealing with waste because, you know, you have got the longer shelf life on these products. So it can range from anywhere from two years on ingredients to our meals, which are seven years or 25 years. And do you work with small and big companies in the UK and Europe or is it global or? Yeah, so um, we are pan-European, so we work in the UK and all across Europe. We supply a wide range of companies, all the way from small independent customers through to large multinationals. As a manufacturer of ingredients, our products can be found in many recipes, including cheese and ice creams, through to ready meals and baked goods. As a diverse ingredient, there's not many applications where our ingredients aren't present because of the variety of ingredients that we supply. Are you seeing a a rise like everybody else in plant-based? Absolutely, yeah, that's something that we've seen quite a lot of recently as the people are requiring or, you know, preferring more plant-based. That's something that we are definitely seeing a rise in. So what they would come to you and a, a company would come to you and say, okay, we, we want to do this particular ice cream. Do you have the ingredients? Mm-hmm. Is that how it would? Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, if a partner wants to work with us and they've got some MPG in mind, you know, we'd initially have a briefing conversation in terms of, you know, they'll have what they've got in mind and as extensive freeze drying, we'll have that conversation with them and kind of recommend what's going to be best and where we're able to help. The thing that was particularly interesting about this press release that came out was the fact that freeze-dried fruit powder might slow ice cream melting. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you give me a bit of the background on what the research says on that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the research, um, as you've seen, suggests that the freeze-dried powders can help with this. It can help with the meltdown of the ice cream just because where you're adding the freeze-dried powders, it combats the growth of the large ice crystals, what you would normally get. So it helps stabilise the ice creams. From reading the research, it can act as a stabiliser instead of using gums? Well, this is it. You know, I think more and more as um, consumers, we're becoming very aware of kind of what's in, you know, on an ingredient declaration in terms of what we're consuming. So as a consumer, if you were to see freeze-dried powder rather than, say, for example, xanthan gum, I think it's just a, a bit more reassuring for a customer that what they're consuming is a bit more natural. And I, I would assume that it would help bring out the flavour more as well? Well, yeah, as with any other freeze-dried ingredients and any of the freeze-dried ingredients that we work on, one of the key benefits is that it really does retain its flavour. And because you're taking out all of the moisture from the product, the flavour impact and delivery is a lot more than you would from, a say, a fresh strawberry. So, yeah, absolutely. Sure. And which uh, fruit does it work with? Is it any of them? or So, not, not any of them. I th- what, what the research is suggesting is that it works really well with the strawberry powder as well as the raspberry powder and also the blackberry powder as well what and the research also suggests that and the powder that it doesn't work that well with is the blueberry powder have you done any tests on this yourself to see if if the research is being uh, being confirmed it's something that our mpd team are very interested in looking at in the coming few months has the research sparked any interest in your customers yeah, you know, the press release only went out last week, but no, we have had a few inquiries regarding that. So it'll be interesting to see what does um, come of it. Sure. And I assume as well, if it works with dairy ice cream, it would work with dairy alternatives as well. It would be the same principle. I imagine so, yeah. I don't, I don't imagine, obviously, that there's not going to be a great deal of ice cream sold for people on the beaches in the next little while when it's uh, when it's. I warm, imagine so. not, not at the moment. No. So has has the, um, I hate to ask about the crisis, but has it had any effect on the company yet? If anything, for us at the moment, because of the kind of, um, you know, service and products that we offer, we've been quite um, overwhelmed in a very positive way. So um, as I referred to the freeze-dried meals that we provide, being able to offer the extremely um, long shelf life, and it's also an ambient product. You know, what we found in this situation, people are stocking up for any kind of emergency. So for us, it's been quite busy. One country that's starting to see some kind of return to normal life, although not quite the same as before yet, is China. And word came last week that Ingredion is expanding its starch facility in China. And to tell us more about that and how it connects to the dairy industry, we talked to Eric Weiser, Ingredion Asia Pacific, and Valderini Licht, Senior Vice President and President Ingredion Asia Pacific. And I first asked about the reasoning behind the expansion. This investment we expect uh, to be completed by early 2022. Uh, so we have completed some engineering steps and are moving now to the next phase of engineering construction. 
our timelines are, are nearly early 2022. I think it's uh, important to say today we are already present uh, in China, so we do have a production site today. And uh, I think this announcement uh, is, of course, to show commitment to our customers that uh, we are going to continue expand our capacity. So we, we already operate uh, two plants in China, and this is going to be a new plant, completely new plant, uh, integrated with native starch and modified starch, but uh, also uh, be able to produce different technologies there. So we will enhance our production capabilities besides capacity already in China. And will you source the material from that region? That's correct. Uh, the plant, uh, we have today already plant uh, in the region, in Shandong area, in the north of China. And uh, we are going to build a new plant uh, close to the existing facility that we have today there. It's uh, adjacent uh, land that we have to expand. But uh, indeed, it's going to be a brand new plant. And we particularly select that area for this new plant because the, the farmers in the region are well known for good quality of raw material and uh, especially good control of non-GMO corn. And uh, that's the main reason we selected uh, this particular location to expand. And uh, we have been connected uh, with farmers already there with the production that we already have today. So this uh, helped us to build stronger alliances with the local farmers and uh, even making some uh, investments in the farmers to support the, the farmer community there. That is going to be the main source of raw material for us for the future expansion. So uh, coming back to your, your question, yes, uh, the corn will be supplied by local farmers. So it will benefit uh, not only the, the manufacturing community there, but also the the agriculture community, but uh, is a strong region in agriculture. And what food products would the ingredients be utilized in? We are talking about mostly specialty starches, and the uh, main applications would be in dairy, in savory, bakery, beverage, uh, or any segment where food texture and the stability is important. Just to add on to Val's comments, I mean, starches, starch and modified starches have been used for a long time in a lot of these processed food applications. And really, we're looking for maintaining texture stability over the shelf life of a particular food. So consumers are becoming more demanding. They want things to seem, taste, look as fresh the day they buy them or they get them out of the supermarket or the distribution chain as they are at their end of the shelf life. So the technologies that we can apply allow the food manufacturers to be able to guarantee that textural stability or no change in texture across a wide shelf life. And I think from a China context where you have a very 
wide distribution channels, it becomes much more important. But again, any sort of food application which becomes large-scale production, you know, uses starches to provide a lot of that textural stability. And what kind of products would these be used in in a dairy capacity? So in the dairy industry, if you if you look globally, starch has been used in yogurts for many decades. So when you start thinking about low protein or low fat, you need to build back that texture, that body, that eating experience. And some manufacturers will use gelatin, which provides some of it. And then those who want to be gelatin free typically will gravitate to starches. So the starches really will do, will have a couple of functional benefits. So they'll build back that body. So if you take out your milk solids, but still want either a cup set or a thick creamy type texture, you're going to use starch to build some of that body and texture back. It's also going to provide a lot of that stenoresis control over time. If you take out some of that protein or some of that fat, you tend to get weighing off of the watery phase and the starch can help bind. Um, we're also seeing like in cheese applications, more and more starch gets used. In an Asia context, cheese has very different implications than say you think about it in Europe where you're looking for shelf-stable cheeses, very low protein for cost, high calorific density for some populations and starch allows us to produce high eating quality. If it's a block cheese, we can maintain the, the shreddability or the sliceability. If it's in a, in a mozzarella, we can help impact you know, more or less melt as you take out some of those uh, key dairy ingredients. And I suppose as well, with it being starches, it's clean label and it appeals to consumers. Some of it is clean label, some of it is modified. Modified food starch in dairy, in a lot of dairy ingredients, is not seen as a challenge. So we have two population bases. I think in, in Western Europe and in the US, there is more bent towards clean label in a lot of the dairy uh, applications. I think in Asia, um, modified food starch is not seen as a, a label challenge to the same extent because it provides that affordability, it provides that shelf life stability, it provides those textural attributes. Will the facility serve only the Chinese market or will it also be for exports to the region as well? Yeah, maybe I can take that one. I think primarily we build this new plant for China market, but we expect to, to serve exports as well. In the future, of course, customers can visit our plant and audit our quality process. So we would be open for exporting as well from this plant, but primarily is for the demand in China. What, what are the benefits for, for your customers? Because obviously there are other companies that produce starches. Um, is it the proximity to the market that's the, the main benefit or are there others too? I, I see two benefits for the customer. As I said, uh, some customers, they already uh, consume products from us today and that they are growing. So I think this investment assures that uh, we have enough supply for them over the next 10, 15 years. So this is uh, primarily to assure supply for the customers that uh, are growing and are with us today. But uh, also 
we can get access faster to raw material uh, in this area that uh, with the larger scale uh, plant, we can secure raw material of a good quality in this region and uh, with good control of a non-GMO. As I mentioned before, this is a, a very important area for agriculture. And this program uh, will end up benefiting the local farmers. I, I think we can... Uh, produce uh, high-quality products, and uh, we have a diverse range of products, and we are going to continue to innovate. Uh, so I think that's the main benefit, is to keep a good path for our existing customers to grow with us, and uh, continue to deploy enough, uh, new technologies uh, for China in a market that uh, is demanding more clean label now, and uh, is demanding more quality food uh, over time. So that's the, uh, our main focus for this expansion. And what other ingredients would you supply to the dairy industry regionally? The bulk of our business has traditionally been starches into the dairy industry. But I think with the TIC gums acquisition that Ingredion made a few years ago, that's opened up our formulating portfolio. So we also sell some hydrocolloids. Um, as select blends, proprietary blends into the dairy industry. So that can be anything from protein stability or protecting protein during UHT through to, you know, we've been looking a lot at vegan cheese more recently. Yeah. And in those cases, you need combinations of starch and hydrocolloids to be able to provide the desired functionality. Is that something that's taking off in Asia as, as much as it is in other parts of the world? Yeah, I look, I think plant-based is odd here because we've always eaten a high plant-based diet in Asia. So I think in a way it's less of plant-based, it's new, it's, it's more on the product forms that it is different. We're seeing more mimicking of the Western diet in terms of plant-based. And I think you're seeing that coming primarily through Australia and New Zealand. But then you've got some very progressive uh, local companies who are looking at sustainability and extending raw materials and, and looking at, at plant-based in that context. So yes, we're seeing an increase in plant-based, but I think it's slightly different to what the West is seeing. And just to complement with what Eric said, uh, Despite we are talking here about starch capacity and so on, as you know, ingredient as a company have different uh, ingredients. Of course, we will have the capability to supply starch, but also supplying solutions that uh, are more tailor-made for the needs of the local customers as well. Every country in APEC is different, uh, so... Uh, we can adapt to the, the local needs of uh, China or in case of exports, customize products for exporting as well. Of course, at the moment, hygiene and safety are uppermost in people's minds. Around the world, I imagine the most repeated phrase is wash your hands, obviously in other languages as well as English. 
The dairy industry has long been associated with safety, and rightly so, because of the potential for things such as listeria. Well, one company that has just addressed listeria is Hygiena, which has launched the Insight El Mono Glow Environmental Surface Screening Test for Listeria. And to tell us more about that, we chatted with Martin Easter, Chief Scientific Officer at Hygiena. Uh, yeah, Hygiena uh, was formed in late 2001, and its objective was to focus on simple, rapid, affordable hygiene tests. Uh, this based on ATP bioluminescence. Um, it's now a global leader in the food sector, offering a, a wide variety of tests to several industrial markets, not just the food market. So we have anything from simple color tests to very specific tests for bacteria, allergens, mycotoxins, uh, and that could be on a simple portable small instrument or a high throughput laboratory system. And whereas we started off with a small business and office in the UK and in the US, uh, we now have offices in uh, eight countries and a global network of distributors in over 120 different countries. So. It's been a, a great progress in the company's development. As far as the new test that's been developed, what was the, the, the reasoning for putting that together? Oh, the new test inside Listeria, uh, El Monoglow, is, is a simple screening test. It's an all-in-one, self-contained swab collection device and test in one device. So it basically saves money. It's a single step, there's no transfer, so that minimizes a cross-contamination risk during the performance of the test. And it screens product contact surfaces in a food production environment after cleaning. So it's intended as a specific test for verifying the effectiveness of cleaning and to assess the risk potential within the manufacturing operation. So it's to identify potential hotspots, which you can do in 24 hours, but also, it screens out all the negatives in 48 hours. So after cleaning, you would expect there to be no contamination left behind, and that's what you want to verify. So it's primarily a simple colorimetric test, low-tech, for cleaning verification, specifically for listeria. And obviously, there are you can detect listeria currently. What, what does it, how does this improve on existing methods? Well, the traditional method for listeria, if you use an ISO method, it usually takes about five to seven days. It's multiple steps and different components, usually done by a skilled analyst under lab conditions. Uh, or you can use a high-tech method such as our uh, real-time PCR test, which gives results in 24 hours. But it's more specific. Uh, it's a more definitive test. It tends to have a higher cost than a is high throughput and uh, it tends to be used by a skilled analyst and usually in contract testing labs. Insight is different to these other tests in that it's a simple screening test that requires low skill. It only requires a small low cost incubator, but it does require additional confirmation tests to verify the presumptive positive result that it generates. It's new and improved in that the media that's in the device is more selective, so it gives us slightly more definitive results, so there are fewer presumptive positives to confirm if you test it on a 
so it's a more highly contaminated surface like a floor or a drain. And it's also more diagnostic of pathogenic uh, listeria. So we have included in it a fluorogenic substrate. So what you are effectively getting is two tests for the price of one. So you get a simple color change, which goes from the straw color to black, which is indicative of listeria species. And then uh, there's a green fluorescence uh, if you shine a UV light on it, and that's indicative of the pathogenic listeria monocytogenes. So simple, easy to use, screening test, two results in a single device. And so does it need any training to be able to use it, or is it pretty uh, pretty straightforward? Ah, it's very easy to use. It's basically three simple steps. You swab to collect the sample, then activate it, which is a simple snap and squeeze action of the self-contained media in the bulb, and then incubate it. And after you've incubated it, it's a visual res- uh, assessment of, of the color change, or shine a, a black light, a UV light on it to check for the fluorescent signal. So very simple, very easy to use in a low-cost environment. Doesn't take a PhD to run it. You know, it's almost anyone can use it, any place, anytime, anywhere. When it comes to product recalls, obviously there's losses of the product itself, but then the potential for the lost business that comes around because of the bad publicity. But how does your product help with cost effectiveness? The cost savings come from a number of different aspects. So um, it's got a large foam swab, so it's included in the device. So there's no additional cost of a swab. The test itself is done in-house, so it verifies cleanliness together with other cleaning verification tests, such as you know an ATP test or something like that. You get two test results in one device. And what it means for the uh, the user is that if it's a small user, then they would usually be sending samples out to a contract testing lab. So if they can screen out the negatives, uh, then that saves them money, but also it saves them time because the time it takes a sample to be collected, shipped to the lab, done the test, and then the result comes back, depending on what method that lab is using. You know, it could be anything from three to seven days before they get a result back. By having a a test that screens out the negatives, it gives you more confidence in the cleaning procedures that you've got in place. And there are fewer confirmation tests that you would need to do on, on a presumptive positive. So again, it's reducing cost that way. So the fast turnaround of results, because you're doing it yourself in-house, means that you have more responsiveness to quality assurance and quality control and risk mitigation within the business. So if you can identify potential hotspots sooner and put the corrective action in place as soon as possible, then uh, these are all the the benefits the test will uh, provide. All right. And you said you use like a, a swab. Does that have to be replaced after every use? Uh, it's included in the device, so the device is uh, disposable. So the device contains the swab, you swab the surface you're interested in, it goes back into the device, it's activated, and then once the result is looked at, if it's a presumptive positive, you can send the whole thing away to a lab to get some additional confirmation tests, 
or you can run your own confirmation test if you're a, a large lab or you have a corporate lab that has the uh, more specific test like a, a PCR test. Or you could run a simple lateral flow dipstick test, which is a bit like a pregnancy test kit that is specific for listeria. So you can run both of those directly from a presumptive positive result that Insight will generate. So I guess it would be applicable to both ends of the scale, the small artisan cheese producer on a farm right the way through to a big dairy company. Yep. The only uh, thing that I would say there is, you know, you are growing up a, a potential pathogen in, in the test. So it needs to be done under a, in a secure location. So, you know, a small laboratory or a, or a locked room with this little incubator in so that you contain it and minimize cross-contamination within the facility, uh, yeah, essentially it can be done by companies large and small. And where is it available? It's available through all of our distributors in over 120 countries around the world. And now we move on to our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland from INCL FC Stone. Hi, Jim. Well, it's another week in the dairy markets where COVID-19 and its impacts continue to be the main topic of conversation and the main driver of, uh, of market pricing. Um, there was some positivity in the market late last week um, after a kind of an IDFA proposal in the US uh, came out uh, suggesting that farmers reduce their milk supply by, by 10% over the following six months. And that did drive a bit of a price increase late in the week, um, but that was largely reversed as we as we got into this week um, as kind of, uh, you know, it looked less likely that that was going to be implemented and uh, more likely that some kind of uh, support program with direct farm payments may be, uh, may be the course of action to support the industry in the U.S. So overall, I guess we had a little bit of an increase in pricing followed by a decrease, and, and that followed through uh, both in the US uh, and Europe and, and Oceania as well. Um, we've seen actually this week here some of the spot prices in Europe drop quite considerably. Um, we've had pretty big moves where we've seen uh, butter and skim milk powder prices uh, drop quite significantly. Um, looking at butter prices, for example, down uh, about 10.5% um, on the weekly spot market quotations and skim milk powder prices down about 3.5%. So, so really quite big moves there. And um, now those quotations or those spot market prices are a bit of a lagging indicator. Um, the futures has been a bit more stable on the week overall, uh, but still in general, the mood is not very positive in terms of prices. Thanks, Charlie. We'll talk to you again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's all for another show. I'm already starting to get next week's together, including looking for interesting things to say about the number 79. Right now, I've got nothing. I mean about the number 79. We do have some interviews lined up. And so on that note, hopefully you're coping with whatever week of lockdown this is. I suppose that depends on where you are. The forecast here is for several more weeks of good weather, so no chance of the lockdown being eased while the weather is decent. But please do take care, respect the experts, be nice to each other, and do reach out if you need help. Hopefully you'll join us again next week. I mean, what else is there to do other than listen to podcasts? 
well there's probably a lot of things actually but anyway until next week thanks for listening